Welcome back to Mortgageonomics Canada. I'm your host, Marco Gallo. I'm a duly licensed mortgage broker in British Columbia and Alberta, born and raised in Calgary, currently living in North Vancouver. If you're from either of these provinces and require any mortgage-related services, please do not hesitate to contact me. Call or text me right now at 604-800-9593. 604-800-9593. One application, one credit check, and access to Canada's top lenders. All right, welcome back, everyone. Uh, today's headliner topic, I'm going to talk about part-time income. Can you use it for mortgage qualification? Of course you can. But before we begin, here's what's on my mind this week. For those doubting that supply is an issue in Canada, here's more evidence that it is. Um, Ontario's provincial government introduced Bill 23, which is also known as More Homes Built Faster Act. This is a bill that legalizes three living units on most residential lots. Um, it reduces or eliminates the development fees municipalities can collect to uh, pay the growth required infrastructure and it does away with the site plan control process for developments under 10 units and takes away the authorities to comment on natural heritage for development proposals and applications like this is super duper aggressive um, basically it it eliminates any meaningful or impactful resistance <laughs> Like, see you later, NIMBYs, right? Like, that's that's what this is. This is pretty, like, boom, coming right at you. Um, and more recently, they have even come out and disclosed their plans. Uh, the provincial government of Ontario, um, the Doug Ford government there, they've, they've come out and disclosed their plans to approve zoning designation on the protected GTA Greenbelt lands. Um, so this is this is big whopper kind of news here. Apparently, they have allotted an area the size of Vancouver for future development um, in the, in this sensitive greenbelt land area. So talk about aggressive! Like wow, this is all in anticipation of projected demand as a result of the growing population. So in the next ten years, they plan on building get this 1.5 million homes in the gta and i know this may sound like crazy talk but this level of expansion is in my opinion what is required to even move the needle on supply in a place like ontario and um Will this cure the affordability crisis or will it just balance the market? And we'll have to wait and see. So, yeah, you know, I, I know I've read a lot of articles where, you know, the, the supply argument is overdone. You know, there, there is enough real estate. I, perhaps, maybe at this point in time in the market, maybe not even right now. But yeah, I, I'm not buying it, man. I think we need to build more, and uh, I'm sticking to that. What would um this this kind of in interesting thought? What would Vancouver's equivalent be to Ontario's More Homes Built Faster Act? Right, like what would that look like? Insane to even think about what, like expand zoning deeper up mountainsides. You know, like build up the mountainside in North Vancouver. Uh, repurpose agricultural reserve land 
to the east to uh, residential developable land, developable land. Um, allow for blanket auto zoning, two to three unit development on all GVA residential lots. Can you imagine that? So I think the NIMBY movement in, in BC is probably the strongest on the planet, maybe the universe. And uh, any talk of legislation similar to Ontario's More Homes Build Faster Act in BC would probably trigger some type of mass protest or revolution, you know, something like that. I, I'm in the middle when it comes to this. I Like, I agree with preservation, you know, preserving the environment and, and the way things are today. But at the same time, like, we can't just sit back and ignore or resist growth as it's happening, unfolding right before our eyes. Like, we can't. Growth is natural, and uh, at, at times, it could be explosive. And Vancouver, I think, barely has a handle on how to deal with natural growth, never mind any explosive spurts that we get. Um, so good on Ontario's provincial government for stirring the pot on um, at least proposing ways to service the ongoing demand for housing. Um, this type of action is is exactly what is required, you know, to at least slow down the affordability crisis. Never mind address it in an immediate, impactful way. So I, I thought that was interesting. I just read about that, and um, that that to me was very very aggressive and. Um, I think that that type of talk in Western Canada would just be like shock. Like it, it just won't. I don't. I don't see that that kind of progress happening. Um, the Bank of Canada and the U.S. Fed they have a history of of moving in tandem, right? So we're getting all these announcements, you know, in the past six months, all the chaos with the interest rates constantly going up. Canada makes the announcement, and then a week later, the, the Fed has their announcement scheduled. So um, I don't know when that started, but at one point, the Bank of Canada intentionally scheduled their announcements before the U.S. Fed. So they don't get accused of like mimicking them or copying them or whatever. So anyhow, they, they have a history of moving in tandem, but despite this, um, however, there appears to be some divergence between the two central banks right now. Um, and if you're a variable rate mortgage holder, you are certainly hoping there is a divergence. Um, because after its last announcement, the Bank of Canada left off a, a slightly dovish tone, right? Which means, you know, slightly optimistic. Whereas the Fed maintained its, its hawkish tone. You know, it's more stark, negative, we still got stuff to do tone. And here's why, why, why there's that, that split, or theoretically there should be that, that divergence right now. The weight of the housing market in Canada is quite a bit higher than in the U.S. It could very well be two times higher um, than in the U.S. So Canada is, is anywhere from 8 to 10% um, the housing market in Canada. U.S., it's 5%. Okay, so you can debate that's that's half, eight to ten percent, and our national debt to income ratio is an embarrassing one hundred and eighty percent. Okay, this is two times greater than the Americans. So, 
as this stratospheric six-month interest rate hike crusade works its way through our housing market, which is, remember, 10% of our economy compared to the U.S.'s 5%, the impact to our economy should theoretically be more swift and direct. And, and I've said this before, the Bank of Canada will not and shouldn't keep pace with the Fed. And uh, I, I think you'll see that divergence persist going forward. But, you know, here's the, the thing we got to keep an eye on. If the Bank of Canada rate lingers lower than the, the U.S. rate for, for too long, we risk uh, devaluating our dollar, which in turn would trigger inflation. So there it is again, that damn, you know, good news eventually equals bad news thing. Right. So we, we got to keep an eye on that. There there appears to be some divergence, but we got to be careful. Like if we stay lower for too long, it could lead to, to that outcome, which we don't want. So money would at that point move out of Canada and into the U.S. And before you know it, the cost of all the American goods that that us Canadians are addicted to would start to rise. Like uh, everything these days, we'll have to see how this plays out. And uh, finally, interest rates, they remain unchanged from last week. So nothing crazy to report here, like for the most part. Um, two and three year fixed rates continue to grow in popularity. Uh, and they're ranging right now anywhere from 5.32 to 5.99%. Kind of in the same range as the five year fixed rates, which are slightly lower. And they're ranging from 5.05 to 5.74%. So kind of makes sense, right? The, the five year fixed rates are looking up just a smudge little more appealing than the two or three year fixed rates. Because um, of course, like in my opinion, two or three two or three year fixed rates are the play right now. Um, I don't think it's a great idea to do a five year fixed right now, but that all depends on your circumstance as well. For some people, it could be a great idea. Um, variable rate is on a bit of a hiatus too, you know, until December 6th. We all know that. Uh, so prime rate is currently at 5.95% and expected to increase on uh, the week of December 6th to at least 6.20%, right? So Merry Christmas. That's what's coming in December. Let's move along and talk about today's headliner topic, part-time income. Can I use it to qualify for a mortgage? Hey there, just a quick reminder about my servicing area as I know many of you are listening from across the country. I'm a duly licensed mortgage broker in the provinces of Alberta and British Columbia. So if you are from these parts, shoot me a text at 604-800-9593 or look me up at homefinancingsolutions.ca. Throughout your dealings with me, you will also be introduced to my support team, Justin and Kelly. With the three of us, you can be rest assured we get every angle covered. And finally, over the years, I've built up some incredible working relationships with real estate agents, lawyers, notaries, home inspectors, and appraisers. So if need be, I can also be your one-stop shop and hook you up with a complete real estate team. The process is quick and swift. One application, one credit check, and access to Canada's top lenders. And now, back to the episode. There's basically two categories of qualification when it comes to part-time income. Number one, qualification criteria for part-time income applicants with at least a two-year tenure 
of part-time employment. And the other one is qualification criteria for part-time income applicants with less than a two-year tenure of part-time employment. See the pattern here? It's all about the two years. You're either part-time with at least two years or you're part-time with less than two years. The first one, part-time income with at least a two-year tenure of part-time employment. If your part-time wage is guaranteed and does not fluctuate, it is 100% eligible for mortgage qualification. And uh, here's, here's what you need. You have to provide verification, of course, in the form of documents, and you need a recent pay stub and an employment letter. And on that employment letter, it must state your hire date, your current wage, and a statement addressing your guaranteed hours. So it has to say guaranteed in there. So in some instances, lenders might additionally require the most recent two years of one of the following, either your T4s or your notice of assessments. Okay, now if you've been at least two years, here's the other part of the equation. If your part-time employment is casual and the hours fluctuate, the qualifying income is determined by averaging your last two years of your declared income. So in that case, you're going to require the same verification documents, but a little extra as well. So the recent pay stub, an employment letter, and then the most recent two years, T4s or notice of assessments. And if the income from the most recent T4 or notice of assessment varies from the average of the two years by more than 20%, you must use the lower of the two. Okay. So if, um, if, if, we have to do a two-year average, and last year, let's say you earned $30,000 in your um, part-time income, and the year before that, you earned $15,000, okay? So you do a two-year average on that, you should be fine. But if you earned $15,000 last year, and before that, you earned $30,000, okay? That's a big variance. That's a 50% variance. The, the average 30000 plus 15000 equals about, I don't know, $23,000 would be the average. Can't use that. We would have to use the 15000 okay, because the variance was greater than 20%. I hope that made sense. It's kind of hard to explain that stuff just talking, right? But uh, I, I think I got out there. Um, Here's the other category, category number two, part-time income with less than a two-year tenure of part-time income. For part-time income with less than two years of established tenure, the employment status must be stated as regular or permanent, or I should say regular and or permanent. And there must be a formal statement within the employment letter that guarantees a minimum set of hours. Okay, so for example... If Mary has worked at a coffee shop, sorry, if you can hear those sirens in the background, I'm sorry, it's uh, sirens going on here. So for example, if Mary has worked at a coffee shop for eight months, the employment letter should include a particular statement that formally outlines her permanent or regular status and her guaranteed minimum hours. And it, it, you know, it, for example, it would read something like Mary is employed as a permanent lead barista and is guaranteed 20 hours per week at 15 bucks an hour. Okay. So those, those two words there are key permanent and guaranteed. Um, in, in this declaration on the employment letter, 
Furthermore, it, it'll be verified. It must be verified as per the year-to-date totals on Mary's most recent pay stub, right? So we bump into this a lot. We have uh, part-time applicants submit letters of employment to us, and it'll say, you know, Mary's employed. She's been working us, you know, for the past nine months. She earns an average, or she works an average of, let's say, 15 hours per week, and she gets paid 15 bucks an hour. That average is a deal killer right there if it's under two years. Okay. So that average, it has to be per, it has to be guaranteed. Okay. So either, you know, you request it back to your employer, like, Hey, you know what? I do work a minimum of 15 hours every, every week. Can you just um, state that that this is, you know, it's stated as it is. Um, it's guaranteed hours. So, you know, your employer's got to agree to it and and it's a guarantee, right? So it's, it could be a deal breaker. So some employers will allow for uh, a disclosure of that guaranteed um, minimum hours. Others won't, they won't feel comfortable doing it because person, it's probably something they can't guarantee, even though you still work 15 hours every week since you started working. So it's a, it's a, it's a critical part of using part-time employment, um, and it's the most common stumbling block. So give me a call. We can discuss that in greater detail and um, we can get you qualified. That's all I got for you today. Call or text me anytime if you have any mortgage questions at all, especially if you're in British Columbia or Alberta, as I'm licensed to service these specific provinces. And especially if you are from Vancouver or Calgary, as I'm very familiar with these markets. And of course, I welcome calls and emails from all over the world for those that are in the process of or have recently relocated or immigrated to Canada from elsewhere. Call or text me at 604-800-9593 or you can get me at WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger. Or just go ahead and link up to my website, homefinancingsolutions.ca. Thank you again for tuning in to Mortgage Genomics Canada. Stay well, everyone. Talk again soon.